welcome your backup plan tribe to another great podcast today. Secrets revealed, pushing through no matter what hits you. Our special guest comes to us, Roman from the Ukraine. He's located in New Jersey, United States right now. And I have a special guest for you guys. He has had so many obstacles in his life that he's going to talk about today. Um, I'm Tina. As you know, if you haven't seen our show before, I'm with your backup plan. I'm uh, I'm a creator and developer of your backup plan app. I'm a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. That's how fast something happens. Snap of your fingers. That's how fast something can hit you and you find you're not prepared for it. I'm a financial advisor and an emergency preparedness coach. And that's what we talk about every show. Just like Mike Tyson says, you never, you know, you think you have a plan till you get punched in the face. And that's really how true it is. We get punched in the face because we're not prepared. We are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, and Pinterest. And we talk about real life stories and with our really amazing people on our shows about their life-changing events in their lives, tragedies, trauma, sicknesses, or accidents, you know, in the blink of an eye, something can happen. You know, something life-changing, something unexpected hits you. And there's no five-minute evacuation notice. There's sometimes no time at all to even make the right choices, to be able to make the right decisions, to have the right emotions and to be in the right mental state of mind. We don't have choices in most cases, it just happens. And are we prepared? So that's why we created, or I created an app that helps you put all your details in case of any medical emergency. So you are able to make those right choices and decisions, have those right emotions because you are present. You're able to be present in the moment um, and have that right mental state of mind. Um, and it's at the end of your fingertips. So saying all of that, I am here with an awesome, awesome guest today. Let's bring him on. Welcome, welcome, Roman Papakachov. Did I say it right? Uh, you added a syllable like we talked about. I, I know, I know. I tried not to. And I think the more you try not to, the more you do. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. no I screwed that up. I'm so sorry. Roman is from the beautiful Ukraine, and I have so much uh, sympathy for him and his family because we all know that so many of us do have family and friends that are in the Ukraine right now struggling. So thank you, Roman, for coming on our show from beautiful New Jersey. Roman is a podcaster himself. He has his own show. He is a business owner, uh, a marketing guru, and I would say a foster dad for many, many children with him and his wife. So Roman, where did it all start for you? <clears throat> yeah, so I'm a first generation immigrant from Ukraine. So I came over with uh, six other family members in 1990 to a two bedroom apartment to uh, New Jersey. Uh, we went through Vienna, Austria, then Rome, Italy, and then came here. That was kind of like the process, if you will. Came over as uh, religious refugees. Um, 
other than that, uh, in terms of professional, uh, I interned with the Secret Service out of uh, college, <clears throat> got a degree in criminal justice, uh, economy tanked in 2008, couldn't find a job, was kind of down and depressed, uh, went to the gym. Somebody at the gym basically told me, hey, I have something that may help. Come out to my car after your workout. So I said, okay, why not? And then they opened their trunk and handed me a packet about search engine optimization said you know read this packet take another month or two and you can start doing it for our business and you know 15 years later founded my own agency held a few director roles on the agency side worked with fortune 500 clients and kind of everything in between by kind of taking that chance um outside of that i like you mentioned in the last four years my wife and i have fostered 29 kids that journey wow. started yeah, that journey started with us in the last four years going through uh, six miscarriages and, you know, life happening in between this past summer. My grandfather or grandmother and my wife's grandfather passed away six weeks of each other. So they must have really loved each other to have that happen. Excuse me. Oh, got a cough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my grandfather passed away like three years ago and my my grandmother and it was my my wife's um, maternal grandfather. So and uh, unfortunately, like my, my grandmother went to the hospital and they said she had uh, pancreatic and liver cancer and a few weeks to live. Um, and I got to spend every day with her from when she was diagnosed in the hospital to when she was in um in hospice and she ended up passing away the uh, day after my birthday in august so oh, i'm so sorry um what were the miscarriages like for you and your wife um were they um long-term ones or shorter term ones or how do i explain that uh they were all in the first trimester um we uh uh, we did basically infertility treatment. So to begin with, we had a um, egg retrieval and then <clears throat> those eggs are taken and I guess fertilized. And, uh, you know, the embryos are put in uh, cryo and then they're kind of, um, I don't know if the right word is graded, but uh, you, they know which ones are male and female and like their strength, the likelihood of them developing into a, a full term pregnancy from that process you know in that four years we spent probably a uh, hundred thousand dollars out of pocket because insurance doesn't really cover a lot of the treatments and medicines and hormones that you you know have to take along the way um especially the stuff needed to do uh uh egg retrieval or egg um you know implanting the embryo uh, yeah. embryo transfer so uh you know my wife or you know any woman that's going to have that it's basically kind of tricking your body that you know you you're kind of naturally pregnant because anything that goes in your body that's like foreign it you know tries to attack and you know you know flush out of your system yeah so so yes yeah, six, six miscarriages two of them happened on christmas days Aww. so you know we had family uh members over and stuff like that so it was kind of a, a difficult time. I mean, it's a different kind of uh, grief and mourning, I guess, from the male perspective. I feel like a lot of um, men are, there's not a lot of resources because men don't necessarily share 
those kind of experiences you have a lot of women that you know share either you know on podcasts or written form or in general but a lot of men don't talk about it because obviously you're grieving you're also thinking about your you know spouse or partner but obviously they're they're handling it and have the physical aspect of it as well yeah so you kind of feel helpless uh in that sense because you know no matter what you say they're still um you know Going experiencing that yeah, yeah experiencing that after and uh the the last one um was kind of hard because it was during like all these lockdowns and stuff so when we went to um the the facility the uh, infertility facility they had to you know take the the embryo out and i couldn't be in there with her so i had to basically wait um in the parking lot while they you know cut our you know child out of her you know stomach or womb basically yeah so We're that, with that you. Was, <laughs> yeah that was uh pretty depressing as well so yeah I mean, you know it's hard to go through one but i mean going through multiple it's kind of um you start i don't know about second guessing yourself but like asking kind of why and like why do you deserve to go through this or situations as a foster yeah. parent you know some people getting pregnant and they're you know don't necessarily aren't the, the people that are ready to be parents or should ever be parents and you know you want to quote unquote start a family and um you know, these kind of things, traumatic things happen to you. So it's tough. It's very tough. And the first thing that comes to mind is why? Um, why do we not get to do this? You know, and some people like I always said, I just have to walk through a, a doorway and I'm pregnant. So, <laughs> you know, and then other people can't get pregnant at all. So it's really a crazy thing. Um, how do you think that made her feel? Did she feel like you know, it must have been a challenging relationship-wise as well. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's tough because, one, you don't necessarily know how, like, you can be there other than, like, being present. And um, obviously situations like that lead to a lot of, um, I guess, uh, relationships, uh, you know, ending, a lot of resentment and stuff like that. And my wife also has um, endometriosis, so it's tougher for uh. her to get, obviously, pregnant and she has you know, like cysts, I believe it's cysts on your, you know, ovaries. Um, yeah. I don't so, know why the body does that. Yeah. It's, and it's, you know, oftentimes like very painful in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, like trying to help, but you don't know how to help and you're trying to mourn and grieve on your own, but then be there for your spouse and grieve together. And like I said, it's just like, uh, I don't know, thinking you like whatever you want to do to help, but sometimes it may not be what that person is looking for. That person may be looking for space when you're just trying to be there. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a hard situation yeah. all around regardless for both people. But like I said, it's, it's that much harder, you know, twice as hard for, you know, the woman in, in the situation. Yes. Well, the body part is, is hard as well as the mind. Because everything you get your hopes up and you think you're going to have a baby and then it doesn't happen. And and then you have to grieve this emptiness. Uh, yeah, it's it's a tough, a tough battle. That's for sure. Very different than having a child and then grieving it. But um, 
after the fact because you're grieving something that you are hoping for and that you feel because it's in you, but you can't. Like, it, it's just this weird concept. How many, I mean, how much times can you keep doing that to yourself without saying, okay, that's it? That's a hard yeah. thing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, even if you want to keep doing it, it, it gets to a point where your body is just so, you know, from the hormones and everything and um, everything else you've experienced, it's, we, I mean, we may obviously naturally, well, naturally trying and stuff like that, but I mean, at some point, like, like you said, I mean, you have to kind of come to the realization and, you know, segueing into, uh, you know, us becoming foster parents, you know, we thought about it and we thought, you know, at that point we explored adoption, but adoption at times is, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars to adopt, which, you know, in my opinion, somewhat of a crime because there's so many people, you know, so many kids out there that, you know, deserve good homes, but a lot yeah. of people can offer that, but can't, you know, straight adopt because of the, you know, financial impact. You don't have the money to begin with. So, um, you know, we thought about it. We went to an orientation. Uh, about becoming foster parents in the state of New Jersey. And then, you know, if you ask me, you know, a few years before then, would I ever see myself being a foster parent? Probably say no, just like with a lot of stuff in life. But yeah. we thought about it, and then you kind of start the process. You know, it took us 10 months to to get licensed and get our home license, kind of two separate things, and, you know, take uh, nine or 10 uh, three-hour classes at night and, you know, 10 weeks in a row um, in class time. But, um, you know, we decided to do that and we were, uh, I guess, categorized or classified as foster to adopt. So basically we're fostering with the um, intention, you know, that we're willing to adopt the kids that come in our home, uh, depending on their situation. Uh, you know, oftentimes we've had kids either transfer to our home or situations where they were literally removed and dropped off in the you know middle of the night with a tr trash bag. Um, oh. So it, it depends where they are kind of in their case, you know, if they're first taken away, if they can go back, um, if parental rights are terminated, uh, us being fostered to adopt, we would be the first ones the uh, Division of Child Services in the state of New Jersey would come to and basically ask, listen, is this a good fit? Um, you know, if the kids connect and you connect, uh, we would have the opportunity to, you know, adopt. So we were licensed May 31st of 2018. And the next day, June 1st, we had two boys dropped off at our doorstep and basically, you know, figure it out. And then, you know, up till now, we've uh, fostered 29 kids. Uh, we've had five kids under the age of four at once, which is interesting. Um, oh, boy. But yeah, it's been a challenge and a blessing, and you see another part of life. Uh, you know, a lot of people are sheltered and and you know what they see in life, and they're in you know a certain, let's say, I guess, socioeconomic class, or you know, live in a certain part of the country or part of the state, or you know, or the world. We're not; they're not exposed to different you know situations and different ways people live. So, you know, it's very humbling and and seeing. I mean, unfortunate seeing kids being. Uh, you know, put through certain situations, see, seeing certain situations, uh, you know, abandoned, neglected, abused. And then, you know, people ask why, uh, you know, certain people turn out the way they do as an adult. You know, you, you yeah. see what happens to certain kids and they can't cope with it. Um, you know, they carry that. They can't, 
you know, they have no one in their corner or no kind of parent guardian or mentor or a role model to steer them in the right direction. And, you know, kind of harboring all that pain, you know, oftentimes you kind of take the, you know, not the right route in life, I guess. Yeah. Well, the pathway isn't always very clear sometimes. Um, you don't get any bad kids, so to speak, quote unquote, uh, or challenging kids. Um, you you get the reg regular foster kids in the system. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know, like, if there's a regular foster child, we don't, like, you know, they're dropped off and oftentimes you're not told what situation they're coming from but depending we usually take kids um that are in like a, a preschool age so from like two to four years old so oftentimes if there's if they we're called about another placement we make sure that um you know that situation is right for the kids in our home currently that they're safe so anybody that's coming from like a like them personally or violent or have uh oppositional defiance i guess now they classify it as oppositional defiance disorder um, oh, uh, I mean, when I was young, it was just like they were You're a bad you know, kid. violent and combative. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, making sure no kind of harm comes to any of the children in our home currently. But I mean, we've had challenging situations in the sense like we've had special needs kids where, you know, they've required additional attention and, you know, making sure they're interacting uh, the way they should be with everyone else in the home and. You know, it's it's been a blessing, but it's definitely been a challenge because each child comes from a unique situation. Yeah. Unique perspective, uh, you know, what they've had at home, what they've seen at home. And it's like they're coming to our home. You know, the thing that we try to do, like right off the bat, is just have a safe home, regardless if they're with us for a week or a year, but a place where they can kind of heal and thrive and get back to being kids. So oftentimes, we've had kids dropped off where they're like nonverbal because of the trauma that they've seen. Um, and then the caseworkers like, you know, they were at a different home and maybe combative or like whatever the behavior was in the foster home said, you know, we can't, we can't have them in the home. They have to be moved. And then, you know, they come to our home and like a, a month later, because usually there's uh, caseworkers visit, like do a monthly check uh, and other people, nurses, guardians, lawyers, what have you. Uh, and they see the kid is, uh, you know, talking, laughing, thriving, like a complete change. So that's that aspect of it is really rewarding. Oh, that must be so rewarding. And it must, you know, really touch your soul, you know, to be able to do that and have that influence on on kids. Yeah. And B, I mean, we're a resource. So it's up to the biological parent if they decide to have the children have contact with us if they do being be, uh, end up being reunified and go back, you know, to their parents, guardians, you know, family, whatever the situation is. <clears throat> but a lot of the time they choose not to, but, you know, we've been, um, you know, fortunate enough to, you know, when they, somebody calls us and needs us some, uh, something like, you know, they can't afford diapers, we'll like jump in and buy it. Or, you know, we've had uh, family members over for like Sunday dinners and, you know, Christmas and, and other holidays and you know our first placement my wife actually because I mean the mom kind of took a took the kids from here to Chicago without telling anyone got you know got in the situation whatever the situation was and uh, called my wife and said hey can you come get us um 
because they were basically in a homeless shelter. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, we spent money on the airline tickets. My wife flew out to Chicago and drove them back like two weeks ago. So that's just, you know, kind of some, some of the things that like we do and kind of go, I guess, above and beyond, but more so, you know, we care about the, the 29 kids we had in our home. And I mean, kids yeah. in general, in terms of their, their well-being and safety, we don't want to see anything happen to them. So. Well, that's, you know. that's it. It's like having a friend, you know, and that you you can't leave them standing at the jail or standing at the bus stop or, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, that's a lot of effort on you guys' part. Wow. That's crazy. Um, and how, how was the, your grandmother and grandfather then? They were in New Jersey at the time they passed away? <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, ironically, they both passed away uh, when they were 88 years old. So um, my grandfather passed away about three years ago. He um, he had, a, I guess, a staph infection that um, basically turned into a, sh a, a stroke because um, it impacted his, his heart, and then it, from his heart, it went to his brain, which is crazy because, you know, people could die from a staph infection if they don't, um, you know, take care of it. Yeah. But... Um, he had a stroke um and then you know he was in the hospital seven seven days six days and they basically said you know you guys have to decide what you're going to do because he's going to be in the state like you know at this point you know non-communicative not anything and you know we talked with my grandmother and my family would he want this and he would just be you know he can't speak he can't open his eyes he would just be a like a vegetable, I guess you call yeah, it. Yeah, ventilator just like kept in like a, like a stasis kind of state, like, you know, basically hibernating. You can't communicate and and do nothing. And, you know, we kind of talked about it. My grandmother said he wouldn't want this. So um, they took her out. They took him off the, uh, the breathing machine. And then in the morning, he ended up uh, passing, which was hard because it was the first kind of, uh, I guess, major death in my life. Um, yeah. I haven't spoken to my father in like 14 years, basically because of, uh, you know, physical abuse, domestic abuse towards my mom and stuff like that. And then my parents got divorced because uh, of, you know, his infidelity and stuff like that um, 14 that's or 15 a, years ago. That's a hard thing to go through then. Yeah. So my grandfather was my main really role model. So uh, he was like your dad. Yeah, so he basically raised me for the most part, even though my dad was around, he wasn't really like he wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, like there's plenty of people in your life that are in your life that are there but aren't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, so it hit me hard and I didn't necessarily have a chance to kind of say goodbye based on what happened to him with the stroke. Um, but uh with my grandmother this past summer um in july my mom took her to the emergency room she was complaining of stomach pain they basically said that hey, you have a hole um uh in your uh, gallbladder or, you know somewhere in that area and then they were gonna like you know fix that and operate but then they did some kind of test and said hey you have pancreatic and liver cancer which are like super uh aggressive and um in like late stages so they basically only gave her a few weeks to live. And at that point it was like six weeks, um, six, seven weeks. She was in the hospital mid July. She turned 88 August 10th. 
uh, you know, I was there in the hospice. I brought her a little cake and stuff, even though she couldn't eat it. Um, at that point, she wasn't eating anything. Um, and then the day after my birthday, you know, I still stopped by and, you know, saw her uh, on my birthday. And then the next day she ended up passing, which was, I guess, a little different experience because you get to grieve. Um, I guess you don't necessarily get closure or enough time, um, you know, if it's kind of cut short. Because I think people take um, things for granted in terms of like loved ones in their lives and seeing them and talking to them. And then when it's finally like they're not there, you know, they wish they were there, spend more time with them. So, yeah. I mean, I, I got to spend every day with her. Um, I would, you know, go and either work remotely from her room or just stop by in the morning or night, spend some time with her. I got to record her like she's like passed on some like wisdom and for uh, kids and everything. So a few hours of like just her talking um, and sharing. So that, that was, uh, I guess, nice. That's and, nice. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, the, you grieve differently in different situations. So like I said, because my grandfather was so sudden and I didn't have a, a chance to say goodbye. It was more so like, kind of getting robbed in a way because it was like yeah. not necessarily like closure and me to express how I felt about him. But uh, with my grandmother, like I said, I, I got to see her, I get to speak with her. She shared what she needed to share. She was kind of at peace. She's like, you know, I'm ready to go, um, you know, and be with God. Uh, like my time, you know, here. Is, Do you think she done. wanted to go with him? Do you think he wants with my wanted... grandfather? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was, I mean, it, obviously it would hit her the hardest. They were married for a long time. They were married for like 60 years, um, 65 years. So, yeah. Um, I mean, she was. Sometimes you she, die of a broken heart, you know. So. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, she was, she was distraught and sad and stuff. And, you know, at that point she was staying with my mom. So for like the, after my grandfather passed, um, she stayed with my mom and my mom took care of her. And now like my mom, it's, it's weird because my grandparents, I guess for like six or so years, they lived with her and now it's like nobody there. So it's, you know, she's, she's still obviously being impacted by it, but it's one of those things that, you know, I think everybody at some point loses someone and it doesn't get easier. You just learn how to kind of live with it. Yeah like that scar uh that like wound becomes a scar so like the reminder of it is there and there's still pain behind it yeah but you can kind of like somewhat you know live your life and you know in my opinion uh you know living your life and and honoring them through kind of going on and doing your best and being your best because after my grandfather passed away i kind of like shut down for a little bit like a few weeks and then i thought about it and wouldn't be like he wouldn't want that and it wouldn't honor him to me not, you know, do my best, live up to my max potential and like be who, you know, I'm I'm trying to be. Right. Do you think you had regrets then about your grandfather, about what you weren't able to say and what you can't uh, No, I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I think I've spent because they were in the same state I was in, um, even though they probably like 45, 50 minutes away. I think I spent more time than most people like on average spend with their grandparents. And at times, you know, I worked remotely. So I would go over to my mom's house and just spend time with them. Um, 
even though it's not like you know we're sitting there chatting for like eight hours like i would yeah. be there i would take a break you know i'd help him out he would tell me a story or something or asked me questions and i mean he shared with me plenty of times that you know he was proud of me in terms of what i've accomplished like professionally and the fact that you know you know i have these kids that aren't even my own kids raising them in my home that he was proud of me and you know stuff That's like awesome. that so, yeah yeah so so like i i know that it's just like i wasn't able on my end to say goodbye and then kind of like the guilt of like him getting sick so like what if you know took him to the hospital or to the doctor you know months prior would that would have helped yeah kind of like questions you ask after the fact it's hard after the fact isn't it you, you know goes through your head and you can't help it <laughs> it's it's just part of nature i could have done this or i could have done that um, how do you think, you know, with your grandmother, you were able to get, we, we call it in the app that we created, um, the treasure box part. So leaving a legacy doesn't always mean leaving a legacy of money, but it could be, but just a video or a poem or the handwriting or this, I talk about the smell, leaving a scarf or the perfume that they used to wear or you know, because we all want to attach ourselves to something physical um, when they're gone so that we feel it um, on the outside because we're feeling the hurt on the inside. So I, I talk about that part, too. So that's awesome that you were able to capture some of those special moments to, to that lives on for her, you know, so people don't forget her. <clears throat> yeah and i got to do that and like the fact that i didn't get to do that with my grandfather like there's that difference um, yeah you know i tried to you know whatever she wanted to say and just let her like like you know that's not nice. necessarily like ask her specific questions but just whatever she wanted to say or whatever was on her mind at the time i was there or you know you know that acquired was acquired you know during that time that she was in the hospital and hospice it was just like I hit record and she would, you know, say whatever she wanted, you know, uh, pray for us, um, you know, stuff to tell the kids and just, you know, that's nice. a lot of stuff. I mean, it's it's sad sometimes because I, I feel like um, people when they're like by themselves in a quiet place, that's when your mind starts racing. So you start like thinking about situations like that or sometimes like if I'm working out or if I'm like, uh, you know, I go for a walk. Cause I live like on the border of um, uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So like one street down is the Delaware river and basically separates New, New Jersey from um, Pennsylvania, or at least where I am in the state. Yeah. So like I'll play a video and it lets me kind of reminisce and kind of feel like close to her and stuff, but it, it's still, it, you feel like you're okay, but then you watch a video and then you're not. So. Yeah, exactly. And every day is different you know, it hits you in so many ways. It could be a smell of something or you heard something or, you know, it's, it's really crazy what grief does to your brain. <laughs> it gets in there and then it just never comes out. It's just like stuck in there and it, you never know when it's going to pop its little head up. That's why I, how I always think about it anyways. But And um, it's hard because like you said, like, you know, stuff, bad stuff happening in your life is inevitable regardless of what happens you know you may experience something uh you know here i think it was hurricane sandy where it like wiped out everything for like 10 days and 
Um, I was working and charging my work laptop like out of a Dunkin' Donuts with like 50 other people that like jerry-rigged outlets that were definitely not safe. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, several years before those losses, when you have everybody intact, like your close friend group and your family, <clears throat> you kind of feel like nothing bad can happen in a way. Like you try to block out a part of life, which is, you know, death and, and passing away. And then when kind of like the first person close to you uh, passes away, it's like, a, I guess, a ripple effect and you don't necessarily know how to handle it. I think that's one of those other things. I was the first person that was really close to me or the closest person to me that passed away. So it was kind of like harder, like, how do I deal with this or yeah. how did this happen? You know, like I wasn't ready for it on my end. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take a minute and make sure everybody knows how to like, share and subscribe to our channel before we forget or I forget to do it. So just to make sure everybody it's down below and also Roman's all of his information of his website and contact information is also in the description box below for you guys. Um, Roman, how do you think this affected you with your own mortality? Did it, you know, it's when we experience these things and we realize, you know, what if, how do you think this affected you with you and your wife? Did it, did it make you realize anything different having these close deaths? Uh, I mean, I don't know if anything different, but kind of cherish, you know, different memories and, and situations because regardless of like what's going on, like you may be usually anything in life, or at least I'm like speaking from, from my life. Like if you're uh, like on a high, like everything is going great. It's not, you're not going to be there for forever. So while you're still on top, regardless if it's, let's say a job, I mean, I often encourage like multiple revenue streams because anything can happen. You know, if you're working for somebody with your own business, with the economy, so like future proofing, like, you know, what's coming in in terms of income. Yes. Um, or, you know, just family wise, you know, spend as much time as possible, build as many memories as possible. And I guess understand that you are uh, mortal, but I guess, you know, spending more time and appreciating things. Sometimes in the Western world, you get uh, caught up with uh, first world problems. Um, I had a few people on my podcast, uh, I think like grounding yourself and, and being grateful or expressing gratitude or waking up and writing down a few things every day that you're grateful for and not repeating that, you know, the same thing the next day um, is, is valuable, like seeing how people actually live and what you have and, you know, what to be thankful for. But um, like I said, it's it's just kind of opening up the the jar of, I guess, mortality, because, I mean, I didn't necessarily think I was immortal, but it's one of those things you kind of, a push off like you don't want to think about yeah. when everybody's still around like you don't want to think about any of those people like in your mind not there anymore so you know i guess it it wasn't like a scared straight type thing but it was like it put things into perspective i guess yeah it sure does it makes us realize that none of us are immortal and that um you know are we prepared are we prepared for the other one as well as are we prepared for ourselves, you know, like 
anything can happen. So um, your life can change in a quick second. Um, what would you um, like to say to about the building the I was going to say about the multiple revenue streams because it's so important right now with with the economy in the last 10 years I'd say even five but um, people the days of having that long-term union job um, working for the city or a corporation or whatever I think it's it's kind of seen its last you, you just don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. You don't know if you're going to be laid off or fired or the company's going to be gone when you go back to work tomorrow. Like you just don't know anything anymore. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, there's no, I don't know how it was before I entered the workforce, but I feel like from the employer's side, there's really no loyalty. So like, if you want to think about it, you know, what, what if something happened to you tomorrow? Like if you pass that your family and friends are going to be uh, mourning you, uh, you know, thinking about and remembering you, like honoring you, like the good times you had, they're going to put a, a, you know, a job post replacing you within a week and, and calling it a day. Like I hate when companies say, you know, we're a family, this, that, or the other, <laughs> like, you don't lay off or fire your family or do this, that, or the other. Uh, usually, I mean, if, if it's a family business, maybe something will happen, but, um, but yeah, that, and, and I don't see any loyalty from companies. I know, you know, in the last few weeks, as of this recording, you know, some of the major tech companies have each laid off thousands of people, you know, people that were good at what they did. Um, and it was strictly a business decision. So there's no like loyalty in keeping somebody it's, you know, what's you're a number. Yeah, it's, you know, what's what's best financially for the company. And if, you know, they didn't see that role of value or or whatever, it wasn't there. I mean, I'm in a digital marketing field, which is a little different. People don't necessarily stay at agencies for more than a few years. Usually a lot of the time when you first start out, you'll jump around like you'll be at a place for one or two years because leaving and getting another job somewhere else, you, you get faster in terms of a salary growth than staying and get whatever the place usually gives you just in terms of like staying even with inflation um, yeah. when you have a review so people really chase uh, titles and other stuff in kind of the or some people in the digital marketing field so i mean i think it's important to be versatile and nimble and not be afraid to uh, explore other opportunities because like i said I had the goal of, you know, doing something in the federal justice system in the U.S. So, like I said, intern with the Secret Service and the counterfeit currency squad. Thought that would be my trajectory. You know, economy tanked, 2008. Yeah. State, local, federal agencies froze hiring, and then I had to figure it out. And it's one of those things where, like, if something happens to you potentially in this economy, if an opportunity presents itself that's outside of your wheelhouse or something you may have not thought of, you know, why not take that chance? You really don't know where it'll actually lead you. But why wouldn't the Secret Service always have work? Isn't there always work in that field? No. I mean, when like federal government, because you're paid by the federal government, when federal government freezes hiring and freezes budgets, I mean, there's nothing, you know, you can't just say, hey, I need a job. I interned with you. So, yeah. Um, 
But you and, think that work would always be, I mean, there's always work, but maybe not. Uh, I mean, it's the size of the uh, that or agency. Um, uh, if they're actually hiring that year, or if they're not, if how many people are retiring. So there's like, you know, different variables that you don't necessarily control as well. Yeah, well, you don't control them. Actually, I talk about that in our workshops as well. Um, we have free webinars and, you know, that's the problem with a corporate or a, a federal job. Um, we don't, they can change their health benefits, their extended benefits in the program. They can change your life insurance providers. They can they can discount it. They can eliminate it. They, they can do all sorts of things because they own it. And you have no, you don't have choices. So I always say to people, look after yourself. And that's basically what you're saying, you know, get a different income stream. Um, start planning that way for yourself. Look after yourself. Yeah, look after yourself. Even if you work for like, you know, you're not self-employed or have a company, you work for somebody else. Um, if an opportunity presents, presents itself and it's better than what you're in and really adds value to you and your family, like think about your family and those close to you. Because like I said, that company that you're with currently isn't going to hesitate to cut you if they need to cut you or they're in tough financial time. So always kind of try to one up yourself or, you know, be a better version of you are who you are today. But if the right opportunity comes about and you're with another company, you know, uh, yeah. and you may or may not be there, like take opportunity of that because it, you may not get the same opportunity again. No, that's for sure. You may not. Um, what does, what does your wife feel about the whole situation with her miscarriages? I'm, I mean, she's not here to tell us, but um, what could she say to others listening? Do you think that she's learned from this whole experience with you as well as herself? Uh, I mean, that it's tough. I mean, being put through that six times, um, six known times, uh, obviously, like where, where it's developed into uh the first trimester just i mean I, I don't know how many how much grief a person can actually handle i know before they i guess become numb because emotionally like i would say if you know it happened again i'm just like i mean i'm still experiencing grief but it's just like numbing um yeah and like other aspects that have happened in my life but you know just finding kind of the strength to go on and to go on for others, especially because, you know, we were still doing um, the infertility treatments and uh, embryo transfers uh, while we were already fostering as well. So we started um, the infertility journey before that, but it like the timeline coincided and, you know, went into us being foster parents. So we've done infertility cycles as we were, um, as we were already foster parents and had children in our home. So it was like one of those things where like, well, you have to deal with this and, and figure out how to cope because you have these kids at home and you can't just, you know, shut down and be standoffish or, or right. act any differently because they're going to feel like a certain way. Like they'll think like that it's something they did or, you know, something similar to that. So I feel like it's, you know, I don't know if you're given enough time at, at certain parts of your life to, to truly grieve because of what you have depending on you and everything else you have going on in life. Yeah. It makes it hard, doesn't it? To, 
to allow the time to do that and how much time do you need? Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is and I don't know, like some people have a really hard time with one. I can't imagine what six would be like, like that's crazy. Yeah. And like I said, two of, two of them happened on um, Christmas day. So now like a day that's supposed to be joyous, there's still that underlying kind of negative connotation now. So, you know, that aspect of it is, is tough as well. So yeah, the timing and everything else. So, you know, like you said, one, one, you know, at times just destroys people and, you know, ends relationships and, and other th things in your life. But um, six, it's just like, why? Like you ask why maybe the first time, but it's like, what is going on after, you know, if you have multiple? Yeah. Um, it was on the Friends show once. I don't know if you've watched Friends, but um, Monica was trying to get pregnant. And so she went to fertility and found out that, I guess, Chandler's sperm was fighting with her insides. So they were like, it was never going to happen because they didn't like each other, I guess, so to speak in, in our language, not medically. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's so sad. It's so sad to see parents not being able to have children. Um, and we take it all for granted. We take everything, you know, we think we're going to get married and have children and, it just sometimes doesn't work that way. Yeah, a lot of stuff in life doesn't work the way you want it to, but like having kind of being able to pivot or figuring out, you know, where to go next and, you know, developing some kind of framework or or a plan and tackling it. Like if, if it's something that you're experiencing together, <clears throat> if you're married or in a relationship, you know, yeah. tackling it together and 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 being able to, uh, I don't know, move on or uh, I would say pivot. Be there for make, each yeah. other. Be there, Be there for, for each, each other. other and make it out of that situation or that trauma together. Yeah, absolutely. And you've had a lot. And I probably haven't even heard of all of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think life is easy for anyone. I mean, it's one of those things where <clears throat> you don't know what the next person is uh, you know, going through. And I'm sure if I sat down with somebody my age or even younger or older there'd be a, a whole list of challenges and and hurdles yeah. and obstacles but i i mean it's it's kind of like everybody learns from it they become the person who they are and you know what would i have changed it probably but it it's you know kind of made who i am who today as well yeah it impacted yeah my um you know emotional empathy and uh you know self-awareness in that sense as well yeah and you don't think much of it at the time but it certainly does come out in the end um what kind of final message would you like to give the listeners uh i would say just don't wait on anything um if you have to do something don't wait on tomorrow you never really promise tomorrow and if you want to do something, then do it regardless of, you know, what people are saying, because you don't know where that's going to take you, um, you know, no. any opportunity in your life. Don't kind of squander your time. A lot of people, especially on the Internet, like there's, you know, motivational pe people 
gurus, you know, you know, try a million things, you know, you have tomorrow, you don't necessarily have tomorrow. Yes, try if you, if you, you know, figure something out in your life that interests you or a career in order to pivot to that and see if, you know, you, you, you like it or you, you, it's something you want to do, but don't wait for tomorrow um, to do something that basically you could do today. Uh, you keep putting yeah. things off and you, you only have so much time. Like, I mean, time is inevitably going to end because, you know, as humans, you know, we'll pass in, at one day. So you, you don't have a infinite amount of time. So really use that. I mean, I guess certain people or people in general, I'm not going to, you know, talk about situations. You know, some people will binge Netflix for 10 hours um, you know, you, I guess you can do that if it's some kind of coping mechanism once in a while or something. But, yeah. you know, just don't squander your time because you don't know how much of it you have to um, to one, spend with your loved ones and two, you know, get done whatever you want to get done on this earth while you're here. That's awesome. Oh, that's that <laughs> that really resonates with me. I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of listeners. You know, we we think we have lots of time, but we don't we don't know. We just don't know. And so that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much, Roman, for coming on. I can't believe that the time has gone so quickly. I don't even know where it went because I was deep in conversation with you. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I, I know our listeners will too. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, you're doing a lot of good things in, in the world and, um, and it's probably come from all of your obstacles that you've, you know, you've developed and you're doing things to help others. And that's awesome. And I, I love having my guests on that are like that. Um, it's crazy what we have to go through to develop into the people that we are. <laughs> it's like, why, why I ask you why <laughs> that's what I do. I don't want any more lessons. No more lessons. I'm done. <laughs> but they just keep coming. They just keep on coming our way, don't they? They never stop. So we are not Superman, but we act like we are because nothing's going to happen. That's for sure. And um, But as you know, it's far from the truth. And we look at the last five years in the world around us, shootings in the schools and streets. And Canada's no different. We have shootings in all sorts of places, bars and churches and schools and universities, just like United States and in UK and around the world, car accidents, overdoses and the pandemic, and not to mention this crazy wars and natural disasters and wildfires and floods and hurricanes around the world that have affected, I think just yesterday or today was Georgia uh, I believe had a huge hurricane. Did you hear that too, Roman? Uh, I'm not like I'm. I'm kind of like in a cave, other than like stuff I hear about Ukraine, because the news is so depressing. I like try to like avoid it, but um, I have not seen uh, anything yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, they just had uh, a huge hurricane came through, uh, and a tornado also. I mean, they're just every week. It's just it's craziness and. We really need to be better prepared. So don't forget to smash that, you know, like button and share the story with others if you think that it will help somebody. I'd, I'd love for you to do that. And if you're thinking of that special someone right now while you're listening to the show, 
please reach out to them. Please call them. We still have phones. Knock on their door, FaceTime them, Zoom time them, whatever it takes. But reach out to them. Tell them how much you love and care about them today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And that being said, um, I always end our show with Carol Burnett. Do you remember who Carol Burnett is, Roman? Uh, I've heard of I've heard You've of heard her. You've heard of her? Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. Thank you, Roman, for coming on our show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, listeners, for coming out. I appreciate each and every one of you. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our channel. And be kind, stay safe, till next week. See you next time. Bye for now.